campers. Welcome back to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and I have something funny to tell you. It's a little bit meta because it's about podcasting and it's about saying the words I just said for this episode, but not on this episode. I will podcast to myself in my car sometimes, like as a practice or as a trial run. And I remember when I was first thinking about starting a podcast, I didn't know if I could do it. I had never tried podcasting before. And Maddie Murphy of The Bad Broadcast, correct me if I'm wrong, Maddie, but I swear at some point in her podcast, she was talking about this and she said she would practice monologuing in her car before she actually started podcasting. And so before I started Girls Camp and I wanted to see if I could even podcast or monologue, which by the way, I think not having a co-host kind of makes podcasting quite different because you really are monologuing. You're talking to yourself essentially, which is just not something that we really do. So I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I would be good at it. And anyway, before I started this podcast, I spent a lot of time in my car driving to and from wherever I was going, just practicing podcasting. I would practice introing. I would practice telling the story of me leaving the church. And so those first couple episodes I released, I had essentially practiced them. And not word for word. I never script anything. I never memorize anything. I really like being off the cuff. And so when I just podcast out loud or monologue out loud to myself in the car, it is really helpful for me actually to form thoughts and ideas about what I want to share on the podcast. And I never go through a whole episode or anything, but I'll just practice little tidbits of, oh, I want to talk about my wedding. And then I'll just start talking about my wedding to myself. (laughs) So if you see me on the freeway and you see me talking, I am not talking to someone over CarPlay on the phone. I'm probably just podcasting to myself. And the reason that this is meta is because I was podcasting to myself. I keep calling it podcasting, but obviously it's not actually podcasting, monologuing, talking to myself in the car yesterday. And I was thinking, this is kind of a funny, interesting thing. And I'm going to tell the campers about it. And now here I am telling you about it. I think the behind the scenes of podcasting is really interesting. And it's something I'm always appreciative of other podcasters kind of talking about. And I think if you don't have a podcast, there's just a lot that goes on that you probably don't know about. So maybe that's interesting to you. Okay, let me tell you the real topic of today's episode, which is Mormon wedding culture. This came up when I did a Q&A. I can't remember exactly how. I got a lot of DMs saying we need a whole episode on Mormon wedding culture. Lots of you have lots of stories and thoughts and feelings and opinions on Mormon weddings because they are weird. Mormon weddings are really weird for a lot of reasons that we are going to be delving into today. And I've got stories to tell of my own, stories that you've written in, and we have lots to unpack when it comes to the Mormon wedding culture. So I can't wait to get into that with you today. As far as a campfire chat goes, I wanted to say that last week's episode with Indy Blue was such a fun one and I feel like it was so resonant with so many of you. I'm so glad Indy came on and shared her story that really struck a chord with so many of us. 
At the end of that episode with Indy, she talked about doing a live in real life girls camp, which I've talked about many a time on the podcast, but I did want to let you all know that I'm getting serious about it. And by getting serious, I mean looking at dates, looking at venues. So stay tuned. I'm hoping to get something nailed down that I can announce and get tickets going for. And I'm just literally giddy when I think about being together in real life and making bracelets and braiding hair and just getting to meet some of you campers. I'm super excited about it. Stay tuned because hopefully I'll be announcing some of that soon. One last thing I want to say about the podcast is that I hit 200k downloads on the podcast this week. That feels shocking, mind-blowing, absolutely incomprehensible to me that I have had that many people, well, not that many people. That's not like the audience number. That's how many times the podcast has been listened to. It's so exciting. I just feel so, so happy that what's going on here at Girls Camp is resonating and finding community. And that just felt like a big milestone that I wanted to celebrate. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Let's get into Mormon wedding culture. First things first, I want to give a little lay of the land on Mormon weddings, and I'm going to do that through the lens of my own wedding because I would say my wedding was fairly typical of a Mormon wedding, different in some ways, which I will point out, but there's a lot of things about my wedding that were super, super Mormon. Thing number one, I met Bentley in December. December 13th. We had written during my mission, but we officially met December 13th. We got engaged February 13th and our wedding day was May 5th. This means that besides being absolutely insane, it also means that we had an incredibly short engagement. And this is typical of Mormons who are getting married for probably the biggest reason is because Mormons usually are virgins. They have to wait to have sex until they get married. And so it lends itself to a shorter engagement period, especially because once you're engaged to someone, it seems like it becomes even more difficult to not have sex with that person. And so you will see in many Mormon weddings that there's a certain rushedness dare I say, about the wedding because there's not a lot of time. And, you know, some people plan weddings for literally years, which is crazy to me. What a luxury that would have been. I was planning a wedding, going to school, had a job, had just got back from my mission and needed to plan an entire wedding in about three months time. And that, again, I think is typical. Another thing about Mormon weddings, and this is the thing that I would say probably is the best way to describe a Mormon wedding. They are very cheap. (laughs) And there's a lot of reasons for this. I think the most obvious reason is that many Mormons get married very young and don't have a lot of money to spend on a wedding of their own. And because a lot of Mormon families have a lot of kids, so then they are paying for a lot of weddings. And so the parents also don't want to dish up a lot of money for the wedding. And... Here's where things get interesting. I just think Mormons don't really prioritize weddings, which is really kind of ironic because getting married is sort of like the pinnacle covenant of Mormonism. Getting married in the temple, getting sealed for eternity is 
the whole thing that Mormons are apparently working toward. But yet the wedding that celebrates that event is very often treated like a backyard barbecue, as one of you who wrote in pointed out. And I think that's very accurate. Because a Mormon wedding is supposed to be centered around the ceiling, which happens in the temple, and we'll talk about that, I think a lot of the reception and the rehearsal dinner, all of those elements of the wedding are just treated kind of as secondary and therefore there's not a lot of money spent a lot of times and people just don't treat the wedding the same way that weddings are treated in the real world. My husband does wedding videography on the side and he does quite high-end weddings and it is just now sinking in for me how different weddings in the real world are. I have not been or I hadn't been to many weddings that weren't Mormon. And just seeing the contrast of how they are treated as a very, very special, very formal occasion, there's just such a stark contrast between the cultural hall, backyard, thrown together Mormon wedding fair. So cheap again, is one of the words I would use to describe Mormon weddings. And my wedding, let me tell you the budget for my wedding. This feels crazy to me in hindsight. And this budget included venue, rentals, my wedding dress was part of this budget, food, rehearsal dinner, all of it, florals. This was all included. The only thing that wasn't included in this was my husband's suit, which his grandpa paid for, I think. All in total, we spent $3,000 on my wedding, <laughs> which part of me feels like what an achievement that we were able to pull something off that I actually think was quite nice in a lot of ways. But another part of me is honestly kind of bummed about it because that is just not enough money to have a wedding, to be frank. You know, I get it at the time I got married. I was young. I didn't put in any money of my own. I'm really grateful for the money that my parents gave to me for a wedding. I really am grateful for that. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but it's not enough money really to have a wedding in a lot of ways. And we just had to do a lot of DIY, a lot of shortcuts. One of the things I feel really bad about is we didn't pay people what they were worth when it came to photo, when it came to video. We just had to kind of make it work with what we had. And I think the money thing with weddings is really interesting because I'm definitely not someone who thinks you need to spend so much money on a wedding. When it comes down to it, it's one day, one event, a very special one. I do think that there is something to be said about not overspending on a wedding as well, obviously to each their own. And if people don't give a shit about a wedding day or event and don't want to spend any money on it, that's also fantastic. For me, I think I would have loved to have made the day more special in a lot of ways and just felt like I kind of felt and still feel that my wedding just didn't it wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be in so many ways. Again, that said, I'm grateful for what it was. It really was a beautiful day, but it just was something that we had to pull together with what we had, with the time and the resources. One thing with Mormon weddings, along with that cheapness element, is that a lot of people have to pitch in and give free labor, which was the case with my wedding. 
I had to do a lot of the labor myself, which was really stressful because I was juggling a lot of things at the time. I think it just makes it difficult sometimes to really enjoy the wedding. It doesn't really feel like a treat in the same way for yourself and for your guests. It's almost like your family has to be working at the wedding and you have to sometimes like help pull a lot of it together in different ways than you would normally at a normal wedding. Anyway, so that's kind of a rundown on Mormon wedding culture. And there's a lot more to say about Mormon weddings, which we will definitely get into with the stories. But for anyone who's listening who doesn't kind of get what makes Mormon weddings so different, I would say that's a big part of it. And let's talk quickly about the temple ceiling. When you get married in Mormonism, if you're both active Mormons and you want to get married in the temple, which is highly, 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 highly encouraged, you can have a civil wedding and then get sealed later or obviously just have a civil wedding. No one's forcing you to get married in the temple, but getting married in the temple is kind of the way to go, the thing to do. And the temple ceremony, you are wearing temple clothes. You guys, you are wearing temple clothes, which includes the apron, the sash, the man is wearing the chef's hat. If you don't know what temple clothes look like, go look it up or I'll post something on my Instagram if I remember. When you are actually getting married, you kneel across the altar from your partner and you do, you covenant to each other. You don't say anything besides yes. The covenants are kind of read to you and you agree to them and you are wearing temple clothing, kneeling across the altar, and then there are people in the room watching you, but only people who are worthy to be in the temple. So if you have a family member who is not active Mormon, they can't be there for the actual ceiling. If you have younger siblings who are not yet allowed in the temple, they cannot be there. So my own father, because he is not active Mormon, was not there for my actual temple ceiling, which is really fucked up and really sad and honestly so normalized in Mormon culture that you go get married with whoever is worthy to be present, wearing the temple clothes, not even a wedding dress, and then you usually, you know, get sealed you leave the temple, everyone's outside waiting for you, they cheer for you, you take photos, and then you usually do a reception later. I will say, I have been seeing more Mormons that will do a ceremony as well. So they will get married in the temple, they will get sealed, but then they will also have a ceremony afterward where they do the whole walking down the aisle, exchanging rings, doing vows, half the bridesmaids and groomsmen, that whole thing, which I think is so great. I really wish I did that. That is what a lot of people do so that, you know, family members who can't be in the temple feel more involved and included, which I think is really lovely. I did not do that myself, but I think that's what I would strongly, highly recommend for anyone who is getting a temple marriage is having that ceremony and having that time where you can speak and give vows and be in your wedding dress and have everybody present that you want there. I think that's really important. One other thing worth noting is that it used to be the case that if you got married civilly, so not in the temple, you would have to wait one whole year to get sealed in the temple afterward. Because of COVID, when temples shut down, they changed that so that you can get married civilly and then sealed anytime afterward. You don't have to wait. Usually what it was is that couples who had sex that were not worthy, worthy with very heavy air quotations to get married in the temple would get civilly married and then they would have to wait a year to get sealed. And so there was this 
connotation of civil marriages that was, oh, they just had sex with each other. They're not worthy. And it was looked down upon. I feel that shifting a little bit because of the rule change where couples might, you know, go get sealed in California and then have a civil ceremony in Utah or vice versa. There's just a little bit more flexibility, it seems like, from what I'm seeing in Mormon culture, which I think is great. The more flexibility, the better. I see some slight positive shifts in Mormon wedding culture just from what I observe essentially on social media, and I think that's a good thing. But that'll come up in these stories, so I just wanted to mention that too. Let's dive into the stories, which are going to give us lots of fodder for the Mormon wedding culture breakdown. Write in number one. As a wedding photographer that shoots 95% normal weddings and 5% LDS weddings, I get so weirded out by how young the LDS bride and groom always look in the photos. I can't even get myself to post them because I'm scared my normal following will think this is a crazy non-consensual child bride situation, which like it kind of is if we want to deep dive into it. Yes. In Mormon weddings, the bride and groom are typically very young. I should have looked up an average, but I would guess the average is 21, 22, which is baby. When I look back at my wedding photos, which I will share, literally I had a baby face. I look so different because I was so young. Definitely looked like a child bride and I almost was. Okay, next story. I'm a convert, so my first Mormon wedding I attended, they sang, I am a child of God. (laughs) Another one I went to had a toast and hot chocolate bar for the reception. Another served hostess donuts and colored water in a church gym. I had only been to normal world weddings, and this boggled my mind. I didn't think Mormons were poor, generally speaking, but it makes sense as I deconstructed more. It's only all the temple ceiling. Nothing else was as important. These stories probably aren't as crazy as you're looking for, but from a convert and outsider perspective, Mormons do weddings so weird and awkwardly cheap. Yes, a couple really important notes here. The food. Let's talk about the food at Mormon weddings. And I am very guilty of this at my own Mormon wedding. But very often at a Mormon wedding, you will find snacks at best. And oftentimes just dessert a la, uh, let's see, hostess donuts and colored water in a church gym. And this is for all the reasons we mentioned around the cheapness of Mormon weddings. But the funny thing about this is that a lot of times the reception is during dinner time. And you have people that went to the temple that have kind of been at the wedding all day. And then they have to stay at the reception until 9 p.m. And they're starving and they have to eat five Hostess donuts and chug some colored water because that's the only thing on offer. I also think it's interesting, like this person mentioned, that it's not necessarily that Mormons are poor because there are plenty of Mormons that I think would have money to spend on a wedding. But as this person mentioned, it's just not really a priority in a wedding to make the event special. The culture is just to kind of cut corners and make it cheap because the pinnacle of a Mormon wedding happens in the temple and you don't have to spend any money on that. Besides, I guess, 10% of your income for your entire life. (laughs) 
But I think this would be really interesting as a convert to come into the world of Mormon weddings and just be absolutely shocked. I'm also really curious what context they were singing I am a child of God in at a wedding. That feels very, very strange. Speaking of wedding music, someone wrote in and said, only playing Disney soundtrack songs at the reception. And then someone else said, one time I went to a backyard Mormon reception where they played the Lego movie theme song, dot, 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 twice. (laughs) The Lego movie. What's going on? Disney soundtrack. It's just, it just goes to show that these are really, truly young, young, young adults at best getting married that want to have Disney soundtracks playing at their own wedding. And just the vibes, man, the vibes. It's so difficult to actually articulate. And that's why I think just thinking about going to a wedding and having the Disney soundtrack playing, that's a really good encapsulation of a Mormon wedding vibe, I would say. Next write-in. This doesn't quite fit the question, but my father-in-law isn't coming to my wedding because we will be serving alcohol. He is willingly missing his son's wedding over this. He also has never gotten to know me because he hates our lifestyle, aka the fact that we are an active Mormon. Gotta love the classic hardcore patriarchy-loving father-in-laws. By the way, obsessed with the pod. Hmm, I'm obsessed with you. Thanks for writing in. Let's talk about the alcohol thing because... When I was active Mormon, I remember saying all the time how lovely it was to be able to have such a wonderful time while sober. And I would always say, you know, with things like weddings or concerts or parties, we Mormons, we don't need alcohol to have fun. We just have fun anyway, sober. And then I tried alcohol. And I went to weddings with alcohol specifically. And let me tell you, it is a hell of a lot more fun to be at a wedding when alcohol is present. It really is. And I feel like this alcohol thing is really interesting because from what I sense about the wider world of weddings outside of Mormonism, there is kind of a party element a lot of times to weddings and receptions where, you know, you'll see the mother of the bride who's maybe a little drunk and kind of going crazy on the dance floor. And there's just those elements going on at a wedding that is such a stark contrast to a Mormon wedding that just feels so buttoned up. Bentley and I had this thing where we were attending so many weddings during our college years. Everyone was getting married. It felt like a wedding every single weekend during the summer. We kind of took it upon ourselves because we both love to dance and be crazy on the dance floor. And we would go to these weddings of people we didn't even know that well, say a mission companion. We would get invited to a wedding. The couple would do the first dance And then, you know, the DJ would play a more upbeat song and be like, come on, everybody dance. And people would just amble slowly onto the dance floor, awkwardly, awkwardly dancing, just not good vibes. So Bentley and I would try and take it upon ourselves to like kind of get the party going, you know, get on the dance floor and be a little less inhibited at people's weddings that we like hardly knew. We actually had this idea of 
putting ourselves out for hire as people who would help wedding dance parties be more fun. The reason I bring that up is because when you are at a non-Mormon wedding, people are having fun. And it's not just the alcohol thing. I'm not trying to give alcohol undue credit or influence, but I just feel like it's less buttoned up and it's more fun. People are celebrating people are celebrating. And Mormon weddings just don't always feel that way. Again, I keep saying Mormon weddings, Mormon weddings, Mormon weddings. I know there are many, many a beautiful, lovely, fantastic Mormon wedding. And again, there was a lot of things I loved about mine. We actually had a pretty kick-ass dance party. And I credit that to the fact that all my friends love to dance and go hard on the dance floor. And we danced the night away and it was really, really fun. There's fun Mormon weddings and you can have fun sober. I'm not saying you can't, but I am saying that I do feel like it's perfectly normal, of course, to have alcohol at a wedding and it can just help people loosen up a bit and have a lot of fun. I think this is so shitty that a father-in-law would refuse to go to a wedding in the presence of alcohol. It's so dumb because does this person not go into restaurants that serve alcohol? Does this person not go into other people's homes if alcohol is in the fridge? Get yourself together, Mr. Father-in-law. You do not need to miss your own child's wedding because there's going to be alcohol there. I promise. Next write-in. A friend of mine was flying to their international honeymoon right after their reception, so her mother-in-law told them they could, quote, use her house between the ceiling and the reception, and they did. Nothing screams Mormon more than losing your virginity in between your ceiling and reception. This is a thing, a thing we need to talk about. The infamous sex between the wedding ceiling and the afternoon evening reception. (laughs) It's so funny. It makes so much sense, right? You are virgins, you are horny, you are dying to have sex with each other, and oftentimes the temple ceiling happens in the morning, and you have a little bit of time, a couple hours, before you go to your reception that evening. Again, this isn't always the case, but often. This is how Mormon weddings are often laid out. People will try and sneak in some sex in between because they've been waiting for a long time and they want to have sex before the reception. They can't wait. The funny thing about this is that everybody knows, you know, everyone can kind of tell or everybody wonders at least, like, did they have sex? You know, how much time was there? And if they didn't have sex in between the ceiling and the reception, then everybody knows they're about to go have sex for the first time. So it's this big anticipation of, okay, we know what these two are going to go do. And even if they had sex in between, they're going to go have sex again for like the second time or third or whatever. And so, so much of the Mormon wedding culture becomes about sex, which is such a gigantic irony to me. Because by having such a deep chastity culture, by disallowing people to get married in the temple if they have had sex... It actually makes sex a way bigger deal than it needs to be. And again, it makes the wedding feel way more about sex than it needs to. The irony, I guess, is that Mormons are maybe viewed as prudish and, you know, chaste and virtuous. But then when it comes to wedding culture, there's this really weird sex thing. Like, 
for example, this mother-in-law saying, oh, you know, come use my house because she knows that her son and daughter-in-law are going to go have sex in her home. That's weird. That's more sexual and strange than just letting grown adults make a decision to have sex with each other before they get married. Let's read some more stories along these lines because a lot of the write-ins were about this weird sex thing, especially the (laughs) in-betweeners. Someone wrote in and called these people who have sex in between the reception and the ceiling, sorry, the ceiling and the reception in-betweeners. And you may all be wondering, is Haley an in-betweener? Did I have sex between the ceiling and the reception? And I will tell you, no. I will tell you there was some fooling around that happened in between. We had a couple of hours to spare. (laughs) And there was some fooling around. But full sex did not happen until after the reception. So if you needed to know that about me, now you know. If you didn't want to know, I'm sorry. You know anyway. Okay, let's read some more of the sex stories. I was at a wedding where the ceremony was in the morning and the reception was in the evening. The couple had decided to have sex for the first time in between the two events. The groom texted his groomsmen group chat saying that they both orgasmed at the same time and that information was being whispered around the reception. I was really uncomfy by the fact that that was what everyone was talking about as well as I definitely don't believe what the groom said. (laughs) Yeah, here we go. Exhibit A. Everyone at the reception just talking about the first real time you had sex during your reception is just bizarre and kind of crass, to be frank. And again, just ironic because Mormons are trying to be like not so sexualized or something, but yet it backfires. The reverse thing happens. Listen to this one. I have this old family friend. When she was dating her now husband, they had all these super intense rules to keep them away from the slippery slope, one of which that he wasn't allowed to touch her butt until they were married. Well, I went to their ceiling and this boy was so fucking horny that the second it was over and they stood up and hugged, he literally grabbed her ass, full on groped it in the ceiling room in front of everyone. So uncomfortable. That is... Next level. In the temple clothing after getting sealed in the temple where you're in the middle of the room because the altar's in the middle of the room and there's people who sit on both sides and you get sealed to your partner and can finally grab her ass so you do it in front of everyone. It's so bad. It's so bad. One time I went on a Provo yard sale on Facebook and saw a girl trying to sell an opened box of condoms. Because she and her husband were trying to have a baby and didn't need them anymore. One of the terms of purchase was that you also had to be married. Not this girl buying condoms. Not even needing to use them long enough to use the whole box. Because they probably got married and wanted to have kids so quickly after that she was going to sell the box. But make sure that whoever she sold them to was married themselves. How Mormon can you get? I have an entire story of a crazy Mormon wedding. This was about two weeks after I got home from my mission and my mission, quote, mom was getting married in some weird town in Arizona. A mission mom is just a fellow missionary that was on the mission before you and, you know, you kind of treat them like a mom, a parent. 
So me and another companion flew out to go and be bridesmaids. Everything about this wedding was crazy. First of all, she was the horniest human ever. On our mission, we were companions when one of her best friends got married, and the best friend sent an unbelievably detailed letter about her wedding night, and my companion would read it nightly. Good for her. Anyway, the night before her wedding, she decides to make a homemade boudoir book for her husband. She takes racy, topless photos. Good for her. The next day is wedding day, and she needs those photos printed. So she has me and another ex-missionary go print them at the local Walmart. We print some and then are questioned by Walmart security about trying to create and distribute porn due to the nature of the photos. That was fun. Anyway, we get to the temple inside the room during the ceremony. She is giving her husband the most intense fuck me eyes I've ever seen across an altar. And honestly, I love her for that. She then gives him the book after the ceiling and they show up an hour late to the reception with her hair gone from an intricate updo into a low ponytail. Honestly, a mood. (laughs) I love this companion. She's a sexual being and she is embracing it. And I love her for that as well. This does call to mind the horny meter that we discussed in the BYU episode, the roommate that had the horny meter. This sounds like this could have potentially been a useful tool for this horny uh, missionary companion. This one is so funny to me. (laughs) Printing out the pornographic photos at Walmart. Last minute, like a last minute, gotta give my brand new husband these boudoir photos. Good for her though, seriously. We all need to channel a little bit more of this energy. Okay, next one. I went to a Mormon wedding once where for some reason they had their reception on a Tuesday afternoon. They decided to do the first dance in the living room. And before the dance, the dad came out of the back room in the house with a massive ball and chain. I'm not joking. It was huge and super heavy, probably 40 pounds. He has the groom sit down and he locks the ball and chain to his ankle. He gives a speech about him being bound to his daughter now. I don't remember a lot of the speech because as soon as he was done, he walked out into the dirt backyard and threw the only key to the ball and chain over the fence into the desert. The groom's best man immediately jumps the fence to start looking for it, but he ended up having his first dance (laughs) standing in one place with his bride. Then his mother's son danced. He tried to pick up the ball and dance with it in one arm, but the chain was too short. It was the most awkward thing I've ever had to witness. My friend and I ended up leaving shortly after and were in silence for a minute, then both said to each other, I don't know if that relationship is going to last. Well, we were right. Their marriage was annulled 30 days later. The ball and chain. Where did the dad get that ball and chain? And actually going to such an extent to throw the key over the fence into the desert it is giving michael scott it is giving so much michael scott energy that i'm kind of obsessed with it it's kind of campy and amazing to have a first dance with a ball and chain (laughs) like anchoring you to the floor i kind of love it but it's absolutely absurd and yeah it seemed like this relationship was maybe doomed from the start Next story. A friend got sealed and then did a ring ceremony to make family friends that couldn't go in the temple feel included, and the man who officiated the ring ceremony kept going on and on about how they were already married in the temple and a ring ceremony doesn't mean anything, and the sealing was the main event of the day. Then he started diving into the origin of the Melchizedek priesthood and how the LDS church is the only church who can perform an eternal-slash-valid marriage. It was so uncomfortable, especially because this ceremony was supposed to make family friends feel included, not even more ostracized. 
I hate this shit so bad. I have been to Mormon weddings or not even sometimes not even Mormon weddings, but weddings where most of the family is Mormon and maybe the couple is like semi-active and the officiant is usually in that case a bishop and they just take it upon themselves to give a goddamn church talk at someone's wedding. It's so absurd. I hate it so much. It's the last thing that a wedding should be about is the Melchizedek priesthood. And it's just so uncomfortable. It's so boring. And to this person's point, usually these ceremonies are because people got married in the temple and their family members couldn't be there or because maybe they wanted to get married in the temple, but they couldn't. And then they just have it rubbed in their face the whole time that the only thing that's important is the ceiling, which not everybody could be there for. It's so dumb. It's also so dumb when these bishops just need to spout useless information because they like to hear themselves talk. I hate it. While we're talking about officiating, I was the officiant for a wedding. My friends, Kenna and Callan, Kenna's been on the podcast, Callan has too. When they got married, they asked me to be the officiant. They got sealed in the temple and then they did a ceremony after. So I was the officiant for the ceremony. I didn't actually have to get like an official license or anything because it was kind of, you know, a technicality because they were already technically married. Anyway, I got to officiate. It was one of the greatest honors of my life. I loved it so much. I wrote this whole speech that was just really special to be able to write about them and their love and just be there while they did the vows for each other. And I loved it. I thought it was so sweet to be asked that. And I think that having to have your bishop be the officiant is really dumb. And you should be able to have someone that you want, that you feel like is going to say something that speaks to your love and represents something to you beyond just a dumb bishop talking about the Melchizedek priesthood. Here's another officiator one. We did a ring ceremony at a luncheon for a family who wasn't there during our intimate mountain ceremony. We asked the guy initiating to just be brief and not talk about church stuff. He ended up talking for 30 minutes about eternal marriages and quoting the Book of Mormon while we all died of heat in the hot sun. It was miserable, and he directly went against what I asked him to do. It's the obligations to preach the gospel all the time that just drives me crazy. Yes to that last sentence. Why can't a marriage be about the bride and the groom and their love for each other? And this is another thing with Mormon weddings, and I get it based on Mormonism, But so much of a Mormon wedding is about not only are you covenanting to each other, you're covenanting to God. This is a religious ritual and almost rite of passage. It becomes about so much more than the love and the partnership and the marriage. And I can see how if you're in that believing framework, it maybe feels like it magnifies those things in a special way. That's fine. But for me, I find it really detracting from the main event, which is two people who love each other and are committing to each other and want to do their lives together. When it just ends up being about the Book of Mormon and the temple, it just really takes away, I think, from the love story of the couple. And that's one of the things about my wedding that really does make me sad is I didn't even have the opportunity to say vows to Bentley. I didn't have the opportunity to have an officiant that mattered to me to walk down the aisle with my dad. Those are really important things, at least to me, and I'm really sad I didn't get them. 
And I really want to do a 10-year vow renewal and kind of reclaim the wedding experience, wear the kind of dress I want to wear, have a party with alcohol, just be able to do the things that I feel really sad I didn't get to do. And I hope that we can make that happen. And I hope that if you had a Mormon wedding that bums you out, you know that you're not alone. And we were kind of just doing the best, all of us, I think, with what we had. But I do think this speaks to the Mormon religion more generally, where it kind of takes these special life things and almost takes it for themselves and makes them become about Mormonism and the gospel and furthering the gospel instead of just letting it be about you. And a wedding should be about you, should be about you and your partner and the love that you share. And if you didn't get that in the way that you wanted because of the Mormon church, I'm sorry. And I'm with you. I feel that too. Oh my gosh, this one blew my mind. At my wedding reception, my cousin's wife set up a full-blown display of her MLM makeup business. She took up an entire table and was straight up giving makeovers in the middle of my reception. What's worse is that they weren't good. Everyone she did ended up looking like a clown with insane eyeshadow and bright red slash hot pink lipstick. Who remembers lip scents? That shit did not come off. So people were hanging around with gaudy makeup celebrating my marriage. Love that for me. I think this ties into a greater phenomenon that needs to be discussed at length. Mormons and their insatiable tie to MLM scams. Mm-hmm. Yep. We are going to need to do a Mormon MLM episode. A Mormon MLM deep dive is absolutely in order. This is absurdity. I would say, um, sorry, cousin's wife. Also, who are you? I don't even know my cousin's wives. Okay, I do, but not well. Who are you to bring your lip scents to my wedding reception? So crazy. And yes, the MLMers no, no boundaries and no, no social norms or they do know them and they don't give a shit, apparently. (laughs) I went to a reception in a church building that was completely video game themed and they had people playing video games all over the room. Excuse me? A video game themed wedding? I think I'm actually speechless. So... You're going to just have to sit with that one. Okay, next story. Four siblings in my home ward all got married on the same day, including an RM who had returned from his mission two days prior. Two days. He got home from a two-year mission and two days later was getting married. Let that sink in. Our local news picked up the mega wedding and everything. The best part of the story, the return missionary had never even dated the girl he married. They both just felt it was right and she already had a wedding dress from a prior engagement. I'll never forget him giving his homecoming talk after their honeymoon. It was all next level Mormon. This is one of the most Mormon things I've ever heard. Four siblings getting married on the same day. One of them a return missionary of two days. Hardly knew the girl he was marrying and giving a homecoming talk after the honeymoon. This is insanity. They said that the local news picked it up, but this should have been on CNN. This should have been breaking news, a breaking news alert to all of our phones because this is really crazy. (laughs) Oh, it's so, it's so Mormon. Bless their hearts. I would love to see where those four siblings are now and if the RM and his bride have made it through. 
when my husband and I were getting sealed, my temple worker would not stop asking me if I was wearing the temple garment until I finally pulled my temple dress aside and showed her my garments. I guess a lot of brides have been not wearing their garments in the temple. I don't know. It was embarrassing because she did it in front of other brides waiting and other temple workers and my mom. Wildly inappropriate very wildly inappropriate. That's another weird thing about the ceiling is you're paired with maybe two temple workers. I'm trying to remember what it was like for me, but you go in a room and you get dressed in your temple clothes and there's like temple workers there. Oh, I just remembered something. (laughs) This just unlocked a memory. So you go into this room and it's like the bride's room and you're getting ready, but you're not, you can't even really get ready. You're in your temple, whatever. And I remember I got in my temple clothes. My mom was there and the temple workers, they're usually like sweet, silly old ladies or sweet, silly younger ladies too. (laughs) I got dressed and I was like, okay, like let's go. And the temple worker had my mom come up next to me and was like, why don't you hold Haley's hand and you two can like look in this mirror together because there was a mirror in there and like think about, I don't know, the covenant Haley's making today. And that is not the way my mom and I operate. We don't hold hands and look in mirrors. We're not like that kind of moment people. We we just aren't. And so we were awkwardly like holding hands, like looking in the mirror, like, uh, okay. <laughs> then luckily it was over quickly. And then they like ushered me whatever to the next thing. But all this to say, the temple worker thing is kind of strange. You end up spending a lot of time in the temple with just like temple workers on your wedding day. This is really crazy that they were garment checking. I have noticed something. I have noticed that it seems like many a Mormon bride, maybe not many, but I have noticed some Mormon brides that will get married in the temple and then they will come out of the temple in a wedding dress that doesn't seem to be garment friendly, to which I say, hell yeah so happy for you. Wear a dress you want to wear that you feel beautiful and comfortable in. And if you're doing what you got to do and there's pressures on you to have a temple wedding, I understand. And I'm proud of you for getting a temple marriage and then taking off your garments to wear a beautiful dress that you want to wear. But it's funny because it sounds like the church is picking up on this and trying to shut it down via temple workers garment checking brides in the temple. Icky, icky, icky. Next story. I got married at 19, a three-month engagement, and I would still marry the same person 100%. I would just do it my way if I could turn back time. But shit was traumatic. On my wedding day, I remember sitting outside of the ceiling room, feeling like I was going to faint or vomit, a full throttle panic attack. I remember thinking I was getting cold feet or that the spirit was telling me I was making a mistake or that it was a sign that I wasn't worthy to be there. I felt like I was about to walk into some sort of trap. Looking back, I clearly see how the only choice that was truly mine that day was the person I was marrying. Everything else about the experience I was doing out of obligation, expectation, and fear of the consequences if I approached my marriage any other way. I so desperately wanted to make the right choice and do the right thing the right way that I felt that I was completely sacrificing myself to do so. I was sacrificing my whole identity in order to wear the one that was expected of me. It was soul-crushing. To top it all off, the entire marriage ceremony felt like one big church lesson and didn't feel like I was celebrating finding love or our relationship at all. We now have a beautiful, incredible marriage, both of us outside the church, but I still look back on our wedding day with heartbreak for the experience it was, and I long for the experience that it should have been. 
I feel this really deeply and I really appreciate this person writing in. They spoke to it really, really well. When I got married, I was very bought in to Mormonism. I was fresh off my mission. I don't remember having conscious feelings of this sort, but looking back, I can definitely see how that was at play. For me, what I can relate to very deeply is when you get married so quickly and so young, it becomes a really stressful experience. At least it was for me. And I think that's something that's not talked about a lot in Mormonism, maybe even in post-Mormonism. But I had so much anxiety leading up to my wedding. Am I making the right choice? Am I doing this too quickly or maybe not quick enough because, you know, we humped each other or whatever. (laughs) Just casually saying that, but it's true. There's just a lot of factors as a young Mormon person who's engaged or wanting to get married that were really, really stressful. And looking back at the time leading up to my wedding and even my wedding day, I remember feeling really stressed in these same ways, not just stressed about the wedding, but feeling like, am I making the right decision? This feels like a really big deal. There's so much weight put on marriage. I think, okay, I think I've gotten to the contradiction in my head. There's so much weight put on marriage. It's the most important thing. It's the pinnacle of everything. But at the same time, there's a culture of getting married extremely quickly, extremely young, when you can't really comprehend the weight of the thing. And I think as a person, you feel that even if you can't quite articulate it or consciously put words to it, you feel that. You feel like this is a really important thing. It's made even more important by all this stuff that Mormonism is adding to it with eternity and covenants and worthiness, but you also feel young and it feels heavy. And I think I felt this way leading up to my wedding. It felt heavy in a way that's really sad and I don't think it needed to feel that way if I was able to do it on my own timeline and in my own way, as this person described. And I know we're kind of joking and laughing about Mormon wedding culture stuff, but I want to say this is really real and I so appreciate how, again, well this was spoken to because I think there's a lot of sadness there for a lot of us and I definitely feel that too. To lighten up the mood, here's a very silly one. My boss, let's call her Jane, who was in her 60s, dated a man for a long time. He caught feels for her while he was still married and he had told his wife. So on her literal deathbed, the wife made him promise that he would never marry Jane. Fast forward one year and they started dating and got more and more serious. Since he had promised his wife not to marry Jane, he was super conflicted, so he went to a stake president who promised him that his dead wife would appear in the temple to give her blessing. LOL. So he and Jane went to the temple like basically every day for two full years, waiting for his ghost wife to show up until he finally gave up and decided that his wife couldn't argue with God. And since God was cool with it, he went ahead and married Jane. I'm just hoping Jane isn't haunted by the wife for the rest of her life. Oh, you know that wife is haunting Jane. That wife is haunting Jane big time and haunting her husband big time. He made a deathbed promise and then he married Jane anyway. So there's a ghostly ex-wife coming down from the celestial kingdom really mad at this guy. Also, this reminds me that men 
are allowed to get sealed to multiple women. So if a man gets sealed in the temple, married in the temple, and their wife dies, they can get sealed to another woman and still be sealed to their wife who died and is presumably in heaven. But women can't do that. Women cannot be sealed to more than one man at a time. So if a woman, if her husband dies and she wants to get remarried, she has to either break off the sealing with the dead husband or she can only get civilly married to the man. Now that I'm saying this, this sounds so absolutely crazy. I almost can't believe it, but I'm 99.9% sure that's the case. I do know women can't get, yeah, sealed to more than one man. It's crazy. It's polygamy. If you think the church gave up polygamy, actually men are allowed to essentially be polygamous in heaven and women are not allowed to have more than one ceiling. And the whole point of a ceiling is that it lasts forever into eternity. So yeah, if a man gets sealed twice, then he has two wives in heaven, but women, God forbid, cannot get sealed twice. So that's quite messed up. Last story. What is with the sick fascination of decorating the getaway car with gross sex stuff? We go our whole lives never mentioning sex, then have this icky obsession with it on the honeymoon. All these poor Mormon girls know nothing leading up to the honeymoon, then are expected to do it all. As a mom of four girls, I find it very disturbing. Yes, it is disturbing, and I think we've delved a lot into the whole sex stuff. I want to talk about the car stuff. If you don't know, something that Mormons do is that the getaway car that the bride and groom leave in after the reception, they decorate with, like, penises and stuff. Like, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen will go get paint, car paint, or, like, shaving cream and draw penises on the car and, like, write sexual things. <laughs> is this only Mormon? I don't know. I don't know if anyone else does this. I'm thinking not. It feels like probably not, but that's a very Mormon thing. And so you're driving away in a car that's just, like, covered in dicks on your wedding night. It's really kooky. And now that I'm saying this, I cannot remember what our car looked like driving away. And I want to know. I'm going to see if I can find a picture. And if you have a picture of a penis adorned vehicle that you drove away from your wedding from please do send it to me okay actually one more tiny story a whole family walked out of my sister's wedding because she had an ice cream cake that had mint vanilla and coffee flavored tears <laughs> this one made me laugh because back to the BYU episode the coffee cake thing Mormons seem deeply concerned about coffee flavored things or coffee cake, which is not only not coffee flavored, but has no actual coffee in it. So there you have it with Mormon wedding culture. What a topic. And, you know, it's a funny thing to be a post-Mormon and look back and realize how Mormons certain events in your life were, weddings being one of them, and realize how differently you would do it now on the other side. And again, I hope for all of us that there is moments to reclaim the weddings that we wish we could have had and that we can also hold some compassion for our former selves who were doing what we thought was the best thing to do and you know it's not all one thing just because it was a Mormon wedding doesn't mean it was a bad wedding just because it was cheap doesn't mean it was a bad wedding I have a lot of really special memories about my wedding and those memories are mostly dancing with Bentley, dancing with friends, cutting our cake, getting to see people who love and support us show up, 
and help us and be there for us. And that's really special. And I think that just because there was a lot of things I would change about it now doesn't take away from how special that was too. And the gratitude that I feel for what, again, my parents were able to provide for me, what my friends were able to provide for me and how people showed up for me that day was really special. And hopefully we can have a rager for the 10 year. We just had our seven year anniversary. So three years from now, I'm ready to rage. I'm ready to really reclaim what we missed out on. I hope that for all of you too. Thank you so much for listening today to the Mormon wedding stuff. I hope this can be a recurring segment somewhere down the line where we can talk about even more of these crazy Mormon stories. But thank you for writing in. I love you all. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you have a fantastic week. And I can't wait to talk next Wednesday. Bye. G-I-R.